We got to start hiring shorter people. That's, a, that's what we need to do. My goodness. I'm starting a basketball team, Kyle. I need you, all right? Hey, um, it is good to be with you. Uh, I am excited about this series, Courage Calling. Will you pray with me as we get started? Lord, um, I just want to ask you to continue doing what you're doing in this place. Uh, there are just moments that you get a sense that the Holy Spirit, that you're with us, that you're a moving that you're moving not just corporately, Lord, but in individual hearts and minds. And today just felt like one of those days to me. And so I just pause and I acknowledge that and I ask you to continue. I ask you to give us more. Father, continue to build our church into what you have called it to be. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, well, listen, when Paul Jr., <laughs> finally gave me the invitation to his house after church, I was pretty excited because I was seven years old. And Paul Jr. was nine years old. And when you're seven years old, all the nine-year-olds, well, at least in our Sunday school class, they were just a lot cooler than all of us seven-year-olds. And I just figured that his house would be amazing, and uh, it was. When I got to his house, it was bigger than any house I'd ever seen. Now, part of the reason why I found out later is that his father's business was attached to their house. In fact, I found that out when we started to play hide-and-go-seek because Paul Jr. said, hey, listen, when we hide, we, we, we can go you know, down the hall, to the left, to the, to, you know, up the stairs, whatever. But whatever you do, do not go in through this door because that's where my dad's business is. Is, and I thought, okay, you know, home office, don't go there, no problem. But when he hid his eyes and it was time for me to hide, well, I kind of forgot whether he said left and then right or up the stairs before down the stairs or whatever. And I found myself through the door that you were not supposed to go through. Uh, I, I found an incredible hiding spot. The, 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 the room was pitch black. I had to feel my way around, but I felt this metal table with a space underneath and I just crouched down and backed into that space and I was good to go uh, I mean seconds turned into minutes after minute after minute after minute they didn't find me for a long time but then I heard Paul Jr.'s voice Dave are, are you in here and then I heard Paul Sr.'s voice David are you in here? And I thought, oh my goodness, this you know, gig is up. We got to go. It's, it's time. And so I, I, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. And they flip on the light. And that's when I realized that Paul Sr.'s business was that he operated a funeral home. <laughs> and on the metal table above my hiding space is a dead body, you guys. And from that moment forward, every time I closed my eyes to go to bed for the next six months, I needed more courage, if you know what I'm talking about. We're in the series called Courage Calling, and we're going to look at a guy by the name of Joshua. Now, we're looking at Joshua because, my goodness, the first time we meet Joshua is in Numbers 13. This is when Moses is leading the Israelite people out of Egyptian captivity, and they're just about ready to go into the promised land, and Moses sends out 12 spies to scout out Canaan, to, 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 to scout out the promised land. Well, when these 12 spies come back, there were two of them that were filled with courage, Joshua and Caleb. They took one look at all the people and, and, and Canaan. They came back and they said, we can take this land. And, and, and so, man, 
they're famous now. They had all this courage, and so now we name our kids Joshua and Caleb. In fact, I'm going to have you real quick. If you know anybody in your life named Joshua or Caleb, just raise your hand. Look at that. Thousands of years later, we still know who these guys are. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm pretty sure ain't nobody knows somebody who's by the name of Shemua or Shaphat. <laughs> Those were two of the names of the other ten spies. And we don't name our kids Shemua or Shaphat because they were full of fear. And also, because if you name your kid Shaphat, well, middle school is going to be pretty hard for them. All right? <laughs> yeah, now, Shemua is going to prom alone is what I'm saying, Okay? So we don't name our kids that, but Joshua and Caleb, because they were courageous, we're still talking about them today. So let's look real quick. Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 1, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. So the first thing we learn is that God is not so great at eulogies, okay? He just basically says, Moses is dead. He's my servant, and he's gone. Now, here's the thing. Uh, He didn't have to say much more than that. Because if you look back in Deuteronomy 34, what you find out is that they actually had a 30-day funeral for Moses. A 30-day celebration of his life where people were talking about all the things that Moses did and talking about his character and talking about all these amazing things. So God didn't have to talk to Joshua about it. They had just come through this and I think it is so interesting that as God gives this great call on Joshua's life he includes a mention of this funeral that they had just gone through it's almost as if God is saying hey as you start your journey you need to remember the end of Moses journey or as you start your journey maybe you ought to keep the end of your journey in mind This is when I think it was Stephen Covey who would say to us, um, hey, one of the things you can do, sort of an exercise you can do in your life is to imagine your funeral. Now, we don't like to think about that, you know, but, but, but here's the thing. Like, the mortality rate in the United States, if you study it, it's hovering right around 100%, okay? Like, every one of us is going to die, and we don't like to think about it, but you are going to die. Someday, they're going to put you in the ground, they're going to go back to the church, they're going to eat potato salad, and they're all going to talk about you. That's not the question. The question is, what will they say? What will your friends and family say about who you were? About how you lived your life, the relationships you nurtured, the decisions you made, who you were? Sometimes it's helpful to keep that end in mind. It could be a motivating way because, you know, when you think about it, you want them saying things like, man, he really loved Jesus. Or she, she followed God no matter how scary it got. She was so brave. Or you know what? She always saw the best in people. Always gave them the benefit of the doubt. Always was quick to extend grace to people. She was just that kind of person. Or, you know what? He had such integrity. I mean, even in moments where he was tempted to sort of shade the truth, nope, he just always had such integrity. You know what? His family adored him. His family adored him. You know what? She was so generous. Always had an open hand for people. And you know what? He, he was so much fun. 
No matter what was going on around him, he seemed to have this just inexpressible and glorious joy. He was just so much fun. And those are the kinds of things that I want said about me, right? Those are the things that you want said about you. And so it's interesting that God begins this calling with Joshua, almost saying, hey, remember the end of Moses. Okay, verse 2. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Verse 3. I will give you every place where you, you set your foot as I promised Moses. God is basically saying, you're going to be successful. This is the promised land. It's not the potential land. It's not the probable land. This is the promised land. God promised it. So it's a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. And this is big. Everywhere you set your foot, it's going to be yours it's going to be this, I mean, this amazing call on Joshua's life. And I wonder, I wonder if God, as we study this passage of Scripture, if he doesn't just have a great call on our lives as well. I wonder if as we study Joshua, it wouldn't be just about some guy that lived thousands of years ago. I wonder if when God is giving a call for some, one of his children to do something great, I wonder if we, could, if we could claim that for ourselves. I wonder if we could begin to ask the question, hey God, is there something you want me to do? God, I feel like there's been this stirring in my heart, but honestly, like I, I, I've been a little hesitant to pursue it because, I mean, it's kind of this great deal. And when I say great call, I don't mean big. It might mean big. It might mean that God uses your company to start a, a ministry that saves the kingdom $40 million and going for $100 million next year. That's an incredible story. And so maybe God will use you in big ways. But when I say great, what I'm talking about is significant. I'm talking about the fact that God might be calling one of you to, to, to step up and to lead a, a, a little league team, a, a, to coach a little league team. And there might be some kid on that team that doesn't have a mom or dad or something. And, and you've got to come alongside that person and put your arms around them and tell them God loves them. And that can change a life. I'm not talking big. I'm talking significant. I'm talking great. There's somebody in here that God is saying that book that is just stirring in your heart that's going to that's gonna make change, that's going to help impact people's lives, that book that's in you, don't be scared. Step forward. Write that book. Maybe this is your call. Maybe, this, maybe for somebody who says, you know what, I'm afraid to face my addiction. The truth is I'm just comfortable in how comfortable I am with this addiction. Is God is saying, no, I've got a call on your life for something greater, some freedom in your life so that you could be able to, to do amazing, great works in your life. Some of God might be calling somebody to stand up at work. You see injustice happening at your work. And you may not have the position of power, but you know what? God doesn't need you to have a position of power. He just needs you to accept the call that he has on your life because he can use anybody, anytime, anywhere. And you might be the one that God is calling to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do it that way anymore. God might have a great call in your life to start a nonprofit. God might have a great call in your life to just to lead a small group in a church, to volunteer in a kid's ministry. 
to make a move in your career that you have been waiting around. You know you're supposed to make this move, but you're scared to make it. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm putting a call on your life. He looked at Joshua and he said, this is the promised land. Now walk in it. And I just wonder if we might be daring enough to ask this dangerous question. What would you do? What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? If God said, you tell me what it is, I'll put all my resources, all my miraculous power, I'll put all my wisdom, I'll put it, I'll put, I, 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 will, I will get with you on this thing. If you knew that you wouldn't fail, what great thing would you follow God into in your life? Well, that's verse 3. Let's go on to verse 4. It says, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and, and from the great river to the Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. He's basically saying to Joshua, here's, here's what's happening, Joshua. You're going to take 2 million people and you're going to conquer 300,000 square miles of land. And oh, by the way, there's going to be um, you know, people in that land. Because here's the problem with the land of Canaan is there's Canaanites in there. And you're going to have to conquer those people. Now, I would imagine this is the point in the story where if we were there, we would see Joshua's jaw go, what? God, you're asking me to conquer? You're asking me to, 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 like, God, I'm a wanderer. That's what I've done. Like, that's my qualification, God. I am an RVer, okay? I have followed Moses around the desert. We have pitched tents. That is what we have done, okay? That's what I have a PhD in, is just wandering, God. That's what I've done for 40 years. Up to this point, Joshua has spied one time and been in one battle. And God is saying, yep, but I'm going to use you to take over these 300,000 square miles. And I want you to lead 2 million people to do it. It is at this point that God, that I believe Joshua's jaw hits the ground and he's like, I don't know. But God has a clear call on his life. And that's the first takeaway. The first takeaway I would share with you is this, is that courage grows from having a clear calling. So you might say, well, courage is going to grow when I feel more qualified, when I feel like I have more strength, when I have more resources, when I am smarter. That's when my, that's when my fear will subside and my courage will grow. But that's not what it says. I, I would say that, listen, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Can I say that again? I don't believe that God necessarily, uh, that, that he calls the qualified people. He qualifies the called. You see, David was not a giant killer when God called him. Noah was not a shipbuilder. When God called him, Peter was not an incredible orator when God called him. Paul was not a church planter when God called him. And yet God looked at them and said, I can use you. And I put a call on your life. And oh, by the way, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You come and follow me and along the journey, I will transform you into what you, I need you to be to accomplish what I'm calling you to do. In other words, courage grows from having a clear calling, not necessarily all the qualifications. The, the question is not, is God, uh, am I qualified? The question is, what is God calling you to do? 
what do you think God is calling you to do? That's a great question. It's a big question. And to answer that big question, I would offer four more. (laughs) Can I give you four questions to ask when you're trying to figure out what is God calling me to do? Whether it's a, you know, some great calling in your life or just the will of God in your life, can I give you four questions? The first is this. Is it biblical? Because God's never going to contradict himself, and God speaks through Scripture. And so, you know, if you are interviewing at the, the firm Dewey, Cheatham, and Howell, and they say, hey, basically to get ahead here, you're going to have to shade the truth, and you're going to have to exaggerate, and we're going to have to cook the books, but you can make millions doing that. Well, you can just say, well, no, 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 thank you, but no thank you, because my God would never call me to contradict what he shows me in Scripture. Does that make sense? Is it biblical? Second question, is it wise? Is it wise? I love how Wayne Cordero, pastor in Hawaii, by the way, I don't know how you get that gig. But Wayne Cordero, he says this about wise people. He says, foolish people are people that keep going back to the same thing again and again and again. The truth is we all know people like that. Whatever reason they, you know, they he he talks about they walk into the wall and they smack their face and they back up and they go, I think I'll walk into the wall again and they smack their face, which seems so silly, but we all know people that go back to that bad destructive thing again and again and again. He says smart people are people that can learn from their mistakes. In other words, they hit the wall and they go, ooh, that hurt. And therefore, I will not do that again. And they walk a different way. But wise people are able to learn from other people's mistakes. Isn't that good? Wise people are able to watch other people's experience. They can look at characters in scripture. They can look at great biographies. They can look at family members. They can look at people in church. They can look at people in the world. And they can go, they can watch it. And they can see how God is working in their lives and go, you know what? I can learn from other people's experiences. So is it biblical? Is it wise? Number three, Does it match my shape? I say, well, shape, what are you talking about? We're Rick Warren, pastor in California. By the way, how do you get that gig? (laughs) He's a pastor in California, and he he talks about shape. He gives an acronym, S-H-A-P-E, and it's how did God make you? How did he shape you? The S is spiritual gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? The H is your heart. What are you passionate about? The A is your ability. What abilities, what skills do you have? What are you good at? The P, personality. Are you an extrovert, introvert? you like working with people? you like working behind a computer? Whatever. What's your personality? Or the E, what are your experiences? What are some of the things as you look back in your life that God has allowed you to experience that might be a clue as you look forward to figuring out what is God's call or what is God's will for your life? Is it biblical? Is it wise? Does it match your shape and the way God made you? And then number four, What does my personal board of directors think about this direction? As you experiment, as you begin to step forward, as you begin to experience different things, you can take that back to your your board of directors, your hopefully family, friends, small group, pastor, whatever, and say, hey, you know what? This is what I think it is. What do you think? And we see that God can work through the church, can work through people in your lives to help guide you and direct you in your life. See, courage can come from discerning a clear call from God. Number two, courage grows in the presence of God. 
I was 12 years old. They invited me to come down to a trip. I didn't know exactly what the trip was. We were going to do camping, but I didn't know in addition to camping, we were going to go whitewater rafting. I'd never been whitewater rafting. We get to the whitewater rafting place, and we could either go to the New River in West Virginia, or we'd go to the Gully River in West Virginia. And they said, well, the New River, that has rapids kind of down on this end, like the twos and the threes and the nice little rapids. And then there's the fours and the fives over here on the Gully River. And I said, well, let's go right. And they said, we're going to the Gully. You know, I've never done this before. I'm 12 years old. And as we're getting in the boat, the guide is talking about, now listen, a lot of rain has hit this season. And so you need to understand, a lot of the places that are usually fours rapids that I'm used to being fours are really now fives because then I'm going, what have we done? But the truth is, I actually wasn't scared at all. Do you know why? Because my dad was in the boat. My dad had come with us. And I'm 12 years old, and as far as I'm concerned, my dad is Superman, and I wasn't scared one bit. And look at what our heavenly father tells Joshua in verse 5. He says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises that he, God promises that he will be with, he'll be in the boat with Joshua all the way through. In fact, he says, I want you to look in the rear view mirror of your life and see how I was with Moses. In other words, you want to get courage, look in the rear view mirror of your life and see how I was with Moses during the 10 plagues, how I showed up during that Red Sea moment, how I showed up with water from a rock, how I showed up with manna in the desert, manna from heaven, how I showed up again and again and again and again. And that ought to give you courage. I don't like a lot about getting older, but one of the things I like about getting older is that there's more rearview mirror in my life. I have more places and times in my life now that, I, that God has shown up. And I can look back and see those like little moments that you just go, this is unmistakably God's presence in my life. I remember we were in college. Rachel and I were dating we met at Wheaton College here locally, but she lived in Wisconsin. I lived in Cincinnati, and so we went back home for the summer, and we were at that point in the relationship where I started to realize that the next logical step in this relationship is like having to be vulnerable or like commitment, and I was afraid of all those things, you know, intimacy, whatever, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, but I don't want to, I'm scared of all those things, and so I remember praying in my home in Cincinnati and just praying in my bedroom, God, here's the thing. I sense that you might be calling me to marry this girl. But God, I'm afraid of all these things. I just don't know. And so God, if, if you really want me to marry this girl, then you're going to need to put a, give me a sign. You ever done that with God? I was like, God, if you really want me to do this, you're going to have to give me a sign. And guys, right when I said that, I prayed that, there was a knock on my bedroom door. And I opened the door, and there was Rachel. She had flown down. She like worked it out with my parents to fly down and surprise me. And I just kind of went, okay, we're going to get married. All right. And here we are, 25 years later. That's us. It'll be 26 next month. Oh, she is a lucky woman. Look at that. Oh, I tell you what. 
You know what a great question for you as you go out to lunch today would be, or as you go home, or as you get in your small group, or as you hang out at dinner with your family? A great question would be, hey, where have you seen God show up in the rearview mirror of your life? And just encourage each other with that. There might be stories that you have, grandma, grandpa, that your grandkids need to be encouraged by. And when I say encouraged, I'm talking about speaking courage into someone's life. Let them benefit from your longer rearview mirror time in all the ways that you've seen God show up. Okay, we need a clear call from God. I want to see the presence of God in my life. And number three, courage requires grit. Courage requires grit. Grit is being unstoppable. Grit is perseverance. Grit is resolve. As far as I know, the word grit is not in the Bible, but the concept is all throughout it. I love what Daniel Strickland said last year at the Leadership Summit. By the way, if you're not signed up for the Leadership Summit, I encourage you to do that. What an incredible opportunity to, to, to bring friends and to start spiritual conversations. But Danielle said last year, she said, one of the most grittiest things you can do is hope. To have hope, it, it takes some grit. It takes some unstoppable perseverance, some resolve. Verse 6, it says, be strong and courageous. Joshua, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And in fact, that, that phrase, be strong and courageous, Joshua, that's going to happen seven times between God and, and Moses, between Deuteronomy and this chapter. Seven times where God is going, be strong and courageous, have some grit, have some perseverance. But you know what else he does is he says, he introduces this concept of the ancestors. Because I think at the same time God is saying, Come on, man, be strong, have courage. I think he also has the grace to be able to say, but you're not in this alone. It's not all on you. The truth is, when I start to be afraid, it starts to isolate me. I start to think, I think I might be the only one that feels this way. Everybody else seems to be having great lives and successful lives, and I, I just, I don't know if God really has that for me. Maybe I'm not as strong. Maybe I don't have enough. In fact, I'm probably not the only person person that's ever felt alone in my fear. I bet there might be some people here. And so what I thought we would do is just have a mass confession. Now relax, because here's what I want you to do. I just want you to raise your hand if any of these things have been true in your life. If you've ever been afraid that you weren't enough, or that it won't add up, or that you won't be able to accomplish it. If you've ever been afraid in your life that you don't have what it takes, or that you won't finish strong, if you've ever been afraid that you won't be liked or won't be smart enough, if you've ever been afraid of rejection, if you've ever been afraid of what other people will think or what they'll do to you, or if you've ever been afraid to fail, would you just raise your hand? I'm so glad I'm not the only one. And the truth is, is that God has given us each other. And that when you begin to pursue the call that God has on your life, the will of God for your life, I want you to know that, that this entire church is behind you on that. We want to cheer you on and support you. I want you to be cheering him on and supporting him. I want you to be cheering her on and supporting her spurring one another on toward good deeds. If I start to stumble, if I start to get tired, I want you to cheer me on and encourage me. I want us to do this together, and together we'll do way more than we ever could on our own. We've got to have grit. We've got to hang in there. We've got to persevere, but we're not doing it by ourselves. You want to have courage. Go with other people. Have some grit. But God says that seven times, be strong and very courageous. And I just imagine at some point Joshua going, okay, 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 okay. 
Okay, okay. But how? How do you just be strong and courageous? Or how do I lead these people, God? What's my next step? What am I supposed to do, actually? Like, when I get up this next day and I get out the the, the whiteboard and I start to figure out, God, what am I actually supposed to do? And what's so practical in this chapter is he says, be strong and very courageous, verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. He's talking about the Bible. And so he says, keep this book of the law on your lips, meditate on it day and night. That's that's two things. And then he says, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, Joshua only had five books of the Bible. You've got 66. You have a lot more resources than he had. But did you see the three things in there? Number one, It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. In other words, will you always be discussing the Bible? Will you always be discussing Scripture? Will you go home today and will you talk about, hey, what did you learn in church today, kids? Would you look at the person you came with and say, hey, you know what? I had a question about this. What do you think? Will you be discussing the Bible? Will you get in a small group? And discuss the truths of Scripture? Will you gather with your family and maybe take Right Now Media, which is like Netflix for Jesus, but we basically, we give that to you for free, and just sign up for that. There's all kinds of studies and and age-appropriate curriculum and things for kids and get fun shows on there. And just look at those truths and say, hey, we ought to talk about this. Just keep that truth always permeating your mind. And then sing it. That's another way you keep it on your lips. And there's something about when you take the truths of Scripture and you put music to it, oh my goodness, then the truths go from here to here. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I could tell you, I could come out here and I could go, yes, the Bible would say that it is well with your soul. Or we could just do what we just did, holy moly. And I'm over there just crying. I'm telling Joanne, I don't know if I can do this. I'm weeping. It is well with my soul. And I'm not just knowing it here, I'm knowing it here keep this book of the law always on your lips sing it discuss it and then it says you shall meditate on it day and night in other words we ought to be like meditating permeating on it. in other words here's a couple things you could do one pray it pray the scriptures back to god you say god you say in your word in first john 1 9 if we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness therefore god i'm taking the things that i've done and i'm confessing them to you and i'm going to walk away with with a clear conscience because i'm praying scripture back to you i know i can count on it we can meditate on it by praying over it you know how else you can meditate on it is memorize it memorize scripture you say i don't know how to do that sure you do take a three by five card Just write down a verse that you like, put it on a three-by-five car, put it up on the visor of your car, okay, on the back of the visor of your car. When you get to a stoplight, you just put it down, and you read it, and you read it, and you read it. When you hear a horn, then you put it back up, and then you go forward. You'll memorize all kinds of scripture. You won't make a lot of friends, but you will memorize scripture. And the last thing that's on here is it says, it says, do all that is written in it. You've heard the five love languages, if anybody's been in on that. I think God has a sixth love language. It's called obedience. You want to show God you love him? Then obey what he says. I love that. Do what he says. If I had you over for dinner, and at the end of the dinner, 
things were kind of wrapping up. And I came out and said, well, for dessert, I have a little surprise. I am going to read to you a cake recipe. So sit back and enjoy. And I say, take three eggs and four, you know, whatever of milk, pints? What do you do? I don't know. I don't bake cakes. Anyway, so I'm reading this thing, and I read it to you, and I get to the end, and I go, isn't that great? And you go, not really. I say, okay, okay, okay. We're not just going to read it. Let's do this. What if I memorized it for you? So now you go, okay, you give me a couple minutes, I come back, and I recite the whole thing from memory to you, and at the end I go, isn't that great? And you go, not really. Right? And then I say, okay, fine, fine. Here's what we'll do. We'll get in a circle, and we'll study it together. Let's get that instruction manual, and let's go, hey, you know what? This is three eggs, but what did your grandma do? You know, and we'll just discuss it, and we'll study the scripture together, and you go, I'm still not impressed, and I'm kind of getting annoyed, and I say, well, here's the deal, then I'm going to write a song about it. Cake baker, cake baker, multiple layers, promise, you never stop, you never stop frosting, you know, like, and at the end of it, you're just like, shut up and bake me a cake. And sometimes I just wonder if God is looking down at us while we study his word, and he goes, that's nice. Or we memorize it, and he says, yeah, hey, hey, that's great. Or we're singing our songs about it, and he goes, that's nice. But what would really get me excited is if you did it, if you applied it, if you baked that cake, right? Courage is anchored in the word of God. You start to obey the word of God, you'll see courage grow in your life. Let me finish with this. Verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In the 1950s, Dr. Richter did an experiment at Harvard University. Dr. Richter took some rats and he put them in water. And uh, he wanted to see how long they could survive treading water. The average for, I don't know however many hundreds of rats, but the average was 15 minutes. About 15 minutes, they would begin to sink. Now, as I say that, I'm looking out upon a people, and I think to myself, there have got to be people in here who feel like you're at about minute 13. And there are some people here who are feeling like, actually, I was on minute 13 a couple years ago. I feel like I'm on minute 14 right now. And I am trying to follow God in my life, but David, I, seriously, I'm at about 14 minutes and 50 seconds i am about to give up in just and i want you to know that when those rats began to sink the doctor would reach down and he would save them from drowning he would bring them and he'd put them over here and he'd let them just kind of cool off a little bit he'd let them cool off let them get rid of the water in their in their chest and and just you know rest for a few minutes but then call it cruel i i didn't i didn't do the study But then he would take them and he would put them back in the water and he wanted to see how long they would last the second time in. And do you know how long the rats lasted the second time in? Because they had just been exhausted. They would just given up after 15 minutes. And you say, well, I, I mean, obviously you're using this as an illustration, so I don't know, another 15 minutes? Nope. 20 minutes this time? Because they had practice? I don't, I don't get it. No. 60 hours 
was the average. And the scientists concluded it's because those rats now believed that they had hope. Those rats now believed that at some point, at some time, someone was going to reach in and was going to save them. And so they would just keep going because they knew that they had someone to save them. And I just want to encourage you to come back every week for this Joshua series. Because here's what's really interesting. You know, Joshua is a Hebrew name. If you read it in Hebrew, it's actually Yeshua. And a Latin transliteration of Yeshua actually shows up in the New Testament in a pretty big way because the Latin translation of Yeshua is actually Jesus. And I just want to encourage you. I want to speak courage in your life. That Joshua and everything that we'll learn really points to Jesus. The entire Old Testament anticipates the moment that a God would look at a bunch of drowning rats and say, you know what, I will send my one and only son and he will be both fully God and he will be both fully man and he will live a perfect sinless life and then he will choose on his own accord to go to the cross and die on that cross for a rebellious people who are shaking their fists basically at him saying we will sin, we will choose our own way and yet Jesus will say, that's okay, I love you this much. And he dies on that cross and he goes down into the grave. And three days later, he overcomes sin and death. And then extends a hand of invitation to you and to me 2,000 years later to say, if you will come and you will follow me and put your faith in me, then your sins can be forgiven and you can live with God forever. And that is the gospel. And if you have not yet said yes to Jesus, I would be remiss without giving you the opportunity. I want to encourage you to take your next step with Jesus. If you're here today and you've not said yes to Jesus, then you come find me after this service and I'll help you make that decision. If you're here today and you have not yet said, I want to take my next step into the calling that God has on my life, then I want to encourage you to step up and do that because God wants to do something significant through your life. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know what my next step is, then you just keep searching. You Go to a small group, go to a team, go find a pastor. Maybe your next step is to invite a friend. Maybe your next step is to crack open Scripture. Read the Word. Maybe your next step is to just come back next week. I like how Fatai talked about us as a family. And I just want to encourage you to take your next step with God together as a family 